Thank you for checking out this talk from the Fierce Families Conference that took place back in October of 2023. Our mission for this conference was to put God's design for marriage and family on full display, and then to equip marriages and families to live out God's beautiful design in the context in which he's placed them. So if you'd like to learn more about the Fierce Families Conference, perhaps to attend a conference in the future, or to bring the Fierce Families Conference to your own area, just go to fiercefamilies.com. And one more story, one more hour outside, one more adventure, one more day of discipling their hearts while growing our own. We have the chance to protect childhood in a world where wholehearted, grounded children are rare. I thought I was on track to do this as my then four-year-old son needed speech therapy and we enrolled in uh, free services at the public pre-K. So we didn't have insurance or anything to do private uh, speech therapy, so it was public pre-K. This ended up being a crazy experience that really directed us where we are now as homeschoolers. So he got the help he needed, his speech improved, but at the cost of uh, my husband and I saying, wow, this was a dangerous system uh, that I feel like we barely escaped the jaws of. So um, there was this meeting where we sat down with the therapy provider who was really just out of college um, and the administrator, and it was a very grave, very serious thing where, you know, it just felt like the tone was, your child is broken, your child is ruined. Um, sorry, <laughs> you know, like, can he be fixed? I don't know. Um, I'm sitting there almost in tears, but they're really just telling us that he, he's tested normally and all the other things, but he just needs speech work. So I'm sitting here with my horses running away, right, Kristen? And so, you know, on the verge of a meltdown, and my awesome husband, who is not easily intimidated, is like, so you're telling me he just can't say K, P, and G and some other words? And I'm like, oh, gosh, he just really leveled it out right there. It is. It's just sounds. It's just words. It's, there's nothing wrong and broken with my child. Um, and there were a lot of children there that did have heavy special needs. And so to hear uh, screaming and crying in this area was not, um, yeah, unexpected. But one day I hear some screaming and my younger son and I peek our head out down the hallway, and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And I look down this long hallway, and I see my poor son being dragged, um, one teacher on each arm just pulling him down, his feet backwards. And uh, they finally get up to me, and I'm like, oh, what has he done? Like, goodness, this is the worst treatment ever. What could this have been? And they're like, yeah, he wouldn't put the plane down. <laughs> so he had a, a toy plane in the the therapy session and uh, he wouldn't put it down, I guess, when they asked him to. And so I just knew just again and again, wow, just how children are treated, like their problems, like they're broken, they're seen as their labels, they're not seen as whole children, right? Um, just a picture of the glory of God. Um, so we had to get out of there. Um, I was raised in public school, my mom, was a principal, my dad was a teacher, my grandma taught, my aunts taught. I mean, the odds were stacked against me, right? Um, my husband was uh, mostly private school, so we're like, well, what do we do? I mean, he's four, but we were pressured to um, register him for kindergarten, coming up at five, and 
I'm like, I just can't do it. I can't put him in the system. Um, again, I just saw it as a dangerous thing that would progress that he would have the label. Um, if you're familiar with it, it's called an IEP. And then that follows you through each grade level, each year you progress and you're always seen as a little different, needing services. Um, maybe for some kids this can be very beneficial if they need it, but not for ours and uh, yeah, just how he was treated that day in that system. So we had to figure out what to do. Um, so the first thing in rescuing our children is our time. So giving them the time and space they need to thrive and then their heart fixed on our Savior. So I realized that um, sending him off to a school environment wasn't going to be an option. So we found a group um, I liked. We found a co-op that's always Homeschool 101. Find some women that you love, get plugged in with them, look at their kids and the older kids and see what they're turning out to be. And that's what we did. So we were in the group um, and it was just that little by little, day by day. Okay, so I'm his mom, I've you know, helped teach him to eat, walk, talk, like I, I think I can figure out academics. Um, but it's, it's so gracious because as you start, it is just letters and phonics and it's little by little and you gain your confidence. Um, but with that time of him being home with me, he had the time to be little. He wasn't subjected to a system or programs. Um, and home education has been called the monastery of the new dark ages. So times are pretty dark right now, right? Would you agree? In a scary way, um, darker than ever. Um, now monastery, we're not really trying to raise nuns and monks here, <laughs> right boys? Um, but it is the idea of a home-centered culture of learning and worship and the fact that you don't have to split up every day for eight hours a day to educate your child and to be proud of their future achievements. Um, it's also choosing your heart. Uh, Kristen talked awesome about this too. It's a sweet sacrifice. So your time is not your own. I have some great friends. Uh, one neighbor I convinced for a year during COVID to homeschool, but then after COVID was over, she sent him back and she's like, I need my me time, but you will serve something. Are you, are you serving uh, your home and your family or you're going to serve the school calendar, the nightly homework, the holidays and bus schedule? Um, and I just knew uh, it was kind of like the Lord uh, just laid it so heavy on my heart. I didn't have a choice. I had to be with my boys, um, and I loved it. So it's that idea that they're our priority. Um, and if you're worried about, well, you know, I was raised in school, and what if they're just going to be weird? Well, the comfortable safety of a traditional school model, I think, keeps you back from what you really want, which is that connection with your child. It is seeing all those precious moments. So I got to see, um, little by little, slowly, uh, the joy of my children read. I would have missed that. Um, the joy of them just being excited about learning and counting little penguin blocks and just being together every day. Such a blessing. Um, also, that you get to see your sibling, their, them as siblings become friends. So um, I have one sibling and we're a few years apart. We were never in the same school and, you know, we didn't end up being very close. But by God's grace, it's my prayer that my kids will be close because they've spent so long together and they've learned to get along so well. 
Um, so there's those close bonds that are formed that I don't think could be formed in any other way. Um, one of my favorite parenting authors, John Roseman, he talks about socialization. It's not this big thing you have to worry about. It's just respect and manners. That's what he boils it all down to. So socialization is learning how to treat people of all ages. How do we treat um, another kid at the play date? We say we're sorry, we work together, we share. How do we treat a neighbor? How do we treat grandma and grandpa? How do we talk to a cashier at the store? Um, how do we treat people at church, at the library? Your child is learning these social skills through you and all of these interactions. They don't need the eight hours a day with the same aged peers. Um, I actually always got in trouble for socializing at school. I was constantly getting put in the hall because I would not stop socializing. So um, <laughs> that's not as much of a problem in homeschool. Um, I also love that they're gonna have the time to be wild and free. So you can set your own rhythms, your own schedules, what season of life you're in, if you've got a new baby, if you've changed, your husband's changed jobs, anything like that, you have the freedom to customize it for your kids' needs and interests. So time, uh, the second thing is discipling. So the very privilege of shaping souls is giving to us parents. Um, I remember a year or so when we were back from the mission field, we lived in Costa Rica a few years and worked in student ministry. And I was kind of thinking, well, what am I doing now? I don't have a title. I'm not serving in any certain organization. And I was just standing at the kitchen uh, sink washing dishes. My kids were playing. And I just felt like this um, definite uh, statement in my mind, you know, the Holy Spirit is like, they are your mission field. And it just redirected everything. I didn't need some position or title or some goal or, you know, big project. It was them. It's, it's raising your children, yourself, by God's grace. Um, and it's hard some days, right? Especially being consistent at it. I think I've read all the strong-willed child books there are. Um, had one of those. So uh, sometimes that's even starting that loving discipline before they're two. It just depends on the personality of the kid, right? And staying, staying in it. Um, but I love to tell people homeschool is so enjoyable because your kids are enjoyable. Now there's bad days, right? There's bad seasons. We have bad attitudes, but it's so fun to be together because your children end up, by God's grace, being respectful, having good character, having good morals. They want to learn. They want to be with you. And it's not just them running out the door in middle school because they hate mom and dad. Uh, we all enjoy it together. Um, we have fought those battles day in and day out for that character and training. So it, it comes from those moments of praying over your children constantly, right? Praying with them, praying over them, reading them Bible stories, even from birth as their babies. Um, and I heard the author Sally Clarkson say recently, you know, she would put in a whole day, right, with, with her young three, pouring out, you know, disciplining, lovingly, teaching them, telling them about God's character. And then at night, she's like, oh, it was always at night 
so tired. I just want to be like, I love you. Pray over you. Good night and run out. But then she's like, then there's the questions. Uh, Mommy, do you believe in God? She's like, yes. And you do too. Good night. (laughs) So there's those times where you're just like, I don't have another ounce of uh, patience left. But day in and day out, right? It all adds up for God's glory. So secondly, uh, motherhood is bearing the heart of the home. So it's up to us to create an atmosphere of learning, growth, and unity, and setting our children's affections to all that is good, true, and beautiful. And what I wanted to start out saying first about atmosphere is that uh, when I first heard that and thought about it, I thought, oh no, it's just gonna be my mistakes, my failings, but it's not that. It's the overall picture of your home. What do your kids think about when they think about you and your home? You and your husband, um, them and their siblings, just the atmosphere, the feeling, the culture of your home, that constant over the years, that's what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember necessarily the bad days that we remember and we guilt and shame ourselves for. It's the overall picture by God's grace that we're doing uh, the best we can, right? So peace is our goal. We want to find a good rhythm, not live in a way that's frantic or compared to another family who might be in a different season, might have different resources, might have different wirings, different callings and gifts. You've got to find your rhythm. How are you going to operate um, in a loving way and educate your children? Uh, And then I think one of the biggest things that's helped us is apologizing humbly. So is it, is it prideful to say you're humble, but you talk about you're humble, but it's kind of prideful to say, whatever. So yeah, I'm proud of always apologizing because it happens a lot. <laughs> My kids are giggling because I bring this up a lot. I'm like, man, I'm sorry. So yeah, I am going to offend them or sin against them or have a bad attitude or I need to call myself out, but I'm gonna come around and apologize. And um, eventually I've heard them apologizing to each other when they needed to. So it's something that catches. It's something that is contagious, that humble atmosphere of the home. So we're not going to get it right. Um, And then just the idea of being excited to be together with your crew, that you are just loving life, right? Again, there's the bad days and the bad seasons, but you do get excited about thinking, wow, I get to do this. I get to wake up and pour into my children and just be mom and teach and love and just do what needs to be done today. So this can also look like your home is alive. Maybe you've got music, maybe you've got a candle burning, you're reading out loud, which we'll talk about more later. You're learning together, you're creating, I don't know, maybe you're baking, that's not my gift. your gift, (laughs) you're helping neighbors. Uh, This also includes work and chores. So I think the earlier you can get kids started on chores, the better for their own hearts, for their skills, but having them contribute to uh, the family economy is great, knowing that they have a purpose and we count on them too for jobs that we need them to do. So that could be animal care. We live on a homestead, but you may just have cats and dogs. Maybe they can be responsible for taking care of those animals. Maybe there's yard work they could do, the dishes, um, and just get started in their heart learning how to serve humbly as well. Next, there's modeling. So we want to model as the moms what to love. So this is a 
tale of appetites. What's good, what's true, what be- what's beautiful? Because we're the gatekeepers of the home. So that could be media they're seeing or hearing. Um, that, you know, that's TV, news, radio. Movies, are the movies a little too crass or violent? Anything like that, we need to weed out apps. Um, some kids do school on a tablet, so or they're handed a tablet, and you've really got to police that. Make sure that you have done everything you can to make sure that your privacy is not being invaded online and that they're not seeing sneaky, bad stuff, right? Um, internet exposure there. Um, also weeding out uh, what Charlotte Mason, she's a homeschool thought leader, what she would call... Um, what did she call it? Oh, Selena, I'm blanking out. What did Charlotte Mason call... Um, books that weren't any good. Twaddle, right? Twaddle books. So weeding out um, just shows that aren't good, books that aren't the best, um, toys that may just be all the noise and blinking lights when really they just need to go out and play in the mud. Anything like that that you are convicted of as a mom, do it. So that may be different household to household. There's no shame here in what one family allows and what another doesn't, but just Uh, If it bothers you and you'd rather not have it, weed it out and pursue something else that you feel like, okay, for us, for now, this is what's good, this is what's true, and this is what's beautiful. Of course, your scripture reading and memory. So we have a Bible plan that we follow along with. We call it the Red Bible. We've been reading in for years. Um, There's programs like Awana or um, GAs, it was called when I was a kid, where Um, even a Bible drill where your kids can enroll, learn scripture, they're accountable for it every week. Just something simple like that, that they're getting it in their heart. Uh, I still can recite the books of the Bible really fast just because I learned it when I was eight. You know, so those things that go in their minds, a lot of times the good stuff that you want to have in there and drill and practice, it's in there. It's in there for good. You also want to put really good literature in front of them. So Uh, stuff that is inspiring. It's uh, classic stories, stories that are uplifting, encouraging, hero stories of the Bible, all that good stuff, so that they they learn this is good literature, this is good books, this is stuff that eh, it's okay, we don't really want to have a whole shelf of it. It might be a waste of time. So that as they grow and as they get older and you take them to the library all the time, they're reaching for the good stuff and not the twaddle or the junk books, we would say. Um, Another good thing of modeling is making history come alive. Uh, This is kind of my nerdy passion. Not everyone loves history, but I love to do it like every now and then some crafts, maybe looking up the videos, the specialty books, maybe go to a play or... Um, yeah, really deep dive into that history so that they're learning all about what has come before so that they will be wise for what's ahead. Also, writing. So writing tends to be a big deal in academics as they're inching towards middle school, but you want to start writing when it's fun and you're just doing fun little stories. So my son once wrote a story about the bad bat and it will live in infamy because he loved that story. He read it to everyone and now he's on to bigger and better stories. Uh, So make writing fun, make history fun, make literature fun, and anytime they can speak and get up, even if it's just show and tell in front of their friends, have them develop that skill too. And uh, starting music in the home. So these are all ways to have what's good, true, and beautiful around you. Finally, uh, one more story, one more hour outside, one more adventure, one more day of discipling their hearts while growing ours. 
Um, we want to do that through a lot of reading. So I have a poem about reading. I'll share with you. The stories they hear from the past over the years, some have been true, some inspired. It's an experience unlike any other they've had to hear how the boy stowed away or the king went mad. He took up the book and its pages spilled out. Laughs, cries, and worries, would Robin be found out? Could this gathering to hear this assembly united be a holy and eternal love for the adventure? We live more than one life when we live through the pages of squires, mutiny, or exploration in deep caves. What beckoning it makes as glad hours fall, yet no regrets ever come from devouring them all. We grow and we guess how the ending will play out as we become part of the story. We've shared in it all, no doubt. The story is a giver and we take and compose. We arrange all our favorites, the heroes, the foes. Each volume on the shelf holds dear. The way we felt as the words fell upon our ears. We could imagine or we could relate, yet we'd never be the same. We've shared all their fates. So making uh, your home a culture of reading is a way to expose your children to all the good things in the world you want them to know about, experience, and be a part of. So you want to make it early, make it fun, starting out maybe with those tiny Bob books, which are just a few words on a page. Uh, I even went to Goodwill once and found a whole bag of those miniature Beanie Babies that were out in the 90s Happy Meals. Anyone get those? Yeah, there was like a whole bag of them. So we did like a little reading challenge as the boys learned to read, um, which can be slow and tedious, right? And you think, how am I gonna teach them this? But yeah, it works out. So each time they would fill, off their, fill out their little chart, they got the little beanie baby and soon they had like a whole animal collection and they're excited about books. That's one idea, one thing to do. Um, my husband was also amazing and faithful at starting to read to them every night when the youngest was about three. So this was the great illustrated classics. I don't know if you've seen those. They're white with the red le letters, and it's everything from Black Beauty to Heidi to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but a picture on every page. So it really keeps the kids interested. And now we're reading like adventure stories of, uh, yeah, far off lands and uh, fighting and, and adventure of, uh, yeah, combat. So we've come from the sweet young stories. We're in combat now. Um, we still read the picture books, picture books galore. Um, and when they're old enough to read the chapter books, that's a big deal, right? So we get excited about our favorite sets. We especially put off Narnia, which is a favorite in our house. So when we started reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the kids have a closet in their room that has a closet within that closet. And so we went in there, because it was dark, lit candles as we read that. And I think that's a really fun memory we made, um, just making reading a big deal, something we look forward to every night. Now, I do not want you to get the idea that our home is like storybook perfect with candles and reading and all these things. Nope, it's not. <laughs> there's animals running off and dogs eating chickens and there's chaos. But there are good moments and good memories of uh, precious reading together. Also, you can build your family library pretty cheap. So for years, I would go to Goodwill and peruse, like, okay, picking out the good books, looking through here, like lists of classic children's literature, and it'd be like 
50 cent, a dollar. Um, and I just went to a library sale where I was getting two books for a quarter, so I know you are jealous. Uh, audiobooks count, of course. My kids love audiobooks still. They will put on Legos. I'm, I'm sorry, they'll put on a book playing Legos, and they might start the book over. That's how long it, it's captured their attention. They can focus. They love it. They have their favorite. Teddy's Button is a favorite, a story of a soldier. Um, also, when my oldest was younger, he loved an audiobook, um, Mike Mulligan and Marianne, The Steam Shovel. And when people would come over, he would ask to recite part of it to them because he loved Mike Mulligan. Um, a really awesome brand to look up for audiobooks is Lamplighter Theater. Incredible classics, really will get your kids excited. Um, so I do always read to them first thing in the morning. Uh, when, after breakfast, after chores, our rhythm is start reading them because I think reading aloud together just fills up their heart and gets them ready for the day. So I like to fill them up before I ask them to pour out and produce, which is their academic schoolwork. So we love to do that devotion, read aloud, and just make it fun together. Uh, finally, the last thing is playing outside. And then I have in parentheses, especially boys. <laughs> so this does not mean girls don't need to release their wiggles, but it seems like boys will burn the world down if they are wiggly and they need to get out and expend some of this energy. So um, lots of studies have shown that kids need a minimum of two to three hours a day outside. That seems vastly unattainable. You're thinking, our schedule won't allow for that. Well, right, it's an ideal, it's a goal. No one gets that uh, on average anymore. But what that translates into is about a thousand hours a year. So there's an incredible organization online, look it up, it's called A Thousand Hours Outside. They even have free trackers you can print and you can just mark off as you go, just your goals little by little, bit by bit, trying to hit that mark of your outside together, maybe in your yard, maybe at a park, maybe on a farm, in the woods, whatever bit of outside time you can carve out together is just gonna make all of childhood happier, right? Um, where you can pursue wonder together, especially just watching really little kids see things for the first time. Um, and it can be as simple as throwing acorns and hickory nuts in a pond, walking through the woods, jumping in puddles in the rain, making those memories together, and they get to expend their energy because kids were not made to sit. Again, especially boys. Kids were not made to sit all day. That's so often how kids end up on these medications and the light goes out in their eyes. Um, motor skills are really dependent on that early activity. So kids being able to be coordinated depends on if they're gonna be able and allowed to run around, climb a tree, jump off, I don't know, their bike or uh, a small platform. Um, and I think that more and more kids are sitting, they're looking at screens, but a little bit of danger there is good. We shouldn't be so dull and cautious. Um, I've always been the mom on the playground you might have judged because I let my kids climb very high. So not just the tall slides, but sitting on top of them outside the slide. So I was prepared, you know, maybe I could run and catch them that fast. But they've never fallen, thank you, Lord. But they're incredible climbers now because I let them climb and take risks and develop that coordination. 
Kids also need imaginative play. They need to just have their own world, whether it's a tea party or it's a fort of combat battles throwing pine cones and grenades in the woods. They need to be keepers of their own kingdom for a while. They need that unsupervised time, of course, once it's safe. So you can't let your toddler out in the woods alone, right? But uh, kids love and thrive on the idea that for this certain time, they can do their own activities outside with no adults and really just grow and thrive that way. And that time is really shrinking. You may be thinking, well, duh, this is obvious. It's not actually fleshing out as much as you would think anymore in the modern world with the kids being trotted off to school and there's practices and activities and commitments and organizations and everything is scheduled and kids are not allowed to play. So being out in nature is also good for, you know, girls may want to make the crafts, girls, guys may want to whittle, um, like shape out a spoon, even playing with hatchets guys and girls, so <laughs> some good danger, right? That measured risk is good as they're getting older. Um, them knowing that you trust them and that they're growing in their own confidence of using tools and being productive in their own way. So some other ideas is just field trips out. Maybe you're at a museum, maybe you're at a park in your city, maybe you're going on a hike, or maybe you're just starting a garden. Um, good luck to you. It's extremely hard. <laughs> My garden is very brown right now. Uh, so yeah, being outside is just irreplaceable. It is a part of childhood that seems to be diminishing, but it cannot be replaced in any other way. So get your kids outside. So finally, in conclusion, our goal, by God's grace, is wholehearted children. And we want to do that by protecting their time, which is giving them our time for them, imparting our values to them, giving them all of our affection, helping them shape that biblical worldview which will benefit them for life, uh, focusing their heart with a love, on, a love for their Savior through scripture reading, uh, scripture memory, prayer, going to church together, and then discipling them with consistency over the years. Also, setting the tone of your home. You're pretty much the gatekeeper of your home, the atmosphere, um, and you can do that with trying to bring in what's good, true, and beautiful, keeping all else out, and pouring into them as much as you can, as much time as you have, stories and play. May you have a great adventure together. Thank you.